So we got a mini series going on. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about epistemology. Yeah. What's epistemology? Uh, how we know what we know. Yeah. yeah. So we, and this this mini series, this three part series that we're wrapping up here, kind of began with a conversation about a mutual acquaintance. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this gentleman, he's not a Christian, and he basically said to you like, "Hey, how can you Christians?" know with the kind of certainty that you know that all this stuff is true yeah you seem so confident right yeah and so we took that as an opportunity to kind of address this question well how do we know anything yeah uh in the first episode we talked about uh epistemic authorities or epistemological authorities which is basically it's a fancy way of saying and and we all have an epistemology we all have a way that we view knowledge whether you realize it or not um and basically what that this means is that when we kind of in casual conversations say well i believe this mm-hmm. we're really used to backing that belief up with another belief yeah so if you say i believe this thing over here and i say well why do you believe that mm-hmm. you're going to give me some other belief that supports that first belief yeah and if you keep going down through the layers you get to a foundation yeah something that doesn't go any farther it is your standard for how you know what is true and what isn't true and everything else is built on top of that yeah uh we said that epistemic foundation for most non-christians is either human reason or sense experience or instinct or feelings uh usually some combination of them yeah um you know a lot of people who don't really think hard about this question often switch between them depending Mm -hmm. on the scenario that they're in but we said the christian shouldn't ultimately be relying on any of those foundations for knowing what's true and what's not true. Yeah. For the Christian, the ultimate ep- epistemic, ooh, epistemological, I like that. It's, it's easier to say. Uh, foundation should be God's revelation. Yeah what, yeah. what God has spoken to us. Yeah. And that actually includes our trust in our reason and mm-hmm. our sense experience. So as a Christian, I should say, I can trust my reason. I can trust my moral knowledge. I can trust my experiences and my feelings insofar as they align with God's word. Yeah, and God gives me reason to trust their validity because He is the creator of my yeah. reason. He's given the world rational structure and organization so that I can reason through it. And that's what we talked about in episode two. That's right. We said, Mister Atheist, as you're using your logic, your reason, et cetera, et cetera, you're you're really you're you're borrowing from our worldview in order to operate coherently. That's right. We yeah. we looked at the atheist's worldview in particular and said when you claim to have scientific knowledge when you claim to have logical knowledge or moral knowledge you are betraying your atheism because if we stand in your shoes and look at the world your view of reality the way you claim to there's no god this is all just unguided purposeless chaos there's no accounting for having those types of knowledge and so in doing so um, when the atheist, often when the atheist argues against Christianity, he'll use science. Mm-hmm. That scientific knowledge is showing that he actually knows God exists. Mm-hmm. There's an innate knowledge of God that he's importing. He's borrowing capital from the Christian worldview to argue against it. Yeah. And so we just showed basically how that atheist worldview leads to absurdity. Yeah. Uh, when, and when we say, this is important, when we say atheists, like everyone, are aware of God's existence, we're not saying that they're lying to us. Right. We're not saying that the atheist who says, I don't believe in God is kind of like, oh, I got another Christian. I fooled him, you know, twirling their mustache Mm, and plotting to be deceptive. It's self-deception. Yeah, they're suppressing the truth. Like a child who tells a lie so often and so fervently that he ends up believing the lie himself. Which, yeah, it's a real thing. And we would say that this is just a more profound 
example of that same phenomena. Yeah. This is sin is causing us to deceive ourselves fundamentally. Yeah. So episode three, episode three, it's where we are now. So we talked about the basis of knowledge, what epistemology is, what epistemic foundations are, how the unbelievers worldview, particularly the atheists, because it's sort of the, the extreme that we can work with yeah. to kind of tangle with how that leads to absurdity. Well, then how can we as Christians know things? And what we're saying is, yes, I get it. Okay. The Christian worldview, the way Christians think it's all built on that foundation of God's revelation. Well, how do you know that the Bible's from God? Yeah. How can you know that that book that you claim is your authority that helps you see what's true and what's not true ultimately, how do you know it's from him? Yeah. How do you know it's not just written by a, a bunch of men yeah. over you know hundreds of years of political conflict and what it says just happens to be what floated to the surface? Yeah. So, Sean. Yeah. How do I know? Is the Bible your ultimate standard for, for knowing what's true and false? Yes, Russell, it is. So how do you know that? Well, uh, oh, is this the part where I give my sarcastic answer? Probably. And that leads into you reading the quote you have? Yes. Uh, well, Russell. <laughs> this isn't uh, scripted at this all. This is not scripted. No, no, no. Uh, no, I mean, I believe it because I think it's obvious from the Bible itself. Okay. Um, but I don't think I would have always given that answer. Right. I think if you would have met me six, seven years ago, I probably would have said, well, you know, there are so many thousands of manuscripts. And so, so recently converted hood rat, Sean. <laughs> hood rat, Sean. Just, just beginning to read Josh McDowell's The Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Okay. Which is a great book. Mm -hmm. I used it to my great profit. And I was like, wow, Homer's Odyssey only has four extant manuscripts. But look at the New Testament. 5,000. Right. Well, I got to believe the Bible. Right. Yeah. So you're talking about evidence. Yeah. Is there evidence to believe that the Bible we have, its contents, yeah. the, the words that are written there, that all of that is accurate to what was originally written by the Apostle Paul and Matthew and the authors mm -hmm. of Scripture? And the answer is yes. There's a tremendous amount of evidence that yeah. we can point to as Christians that say, look, this book was written when we think it was. These books were written by the men who claim to have written them. These books say the things that the authors originally put on the paper that mm -hmm. they wrote on, we have the content of scripture. Yeah. It's been provide it's been preserved for us yeah. and it is endured. And here's all the historical criteria and evidence we can show that with. But but um that is a very different thing than saying, well, how do you know it's from God? Right. And so you get guys like uh Vodibakum who I respect wow. deeply. Wow. What? I just can't believe you're about to attack such a <laughs> Faithful brother, go ahead. Yeah, uh, res I respect Vodi deeply, and mm, actually, really, sure you do. really benefited. So she stopped doing that. Okay, I really benefited from a video he has on YouTube. I think it's the title is "Why I Believe the Bible Is True," okay, or something like that. Yeah. and he has this thesis statement that he comes to where he says, "I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses." They reported supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claimed that their writings were divine rather than human in origin. And that's what you, that you were helped by that. I was like, hey, that is so helpful. You said yes and amen. And I started looking into each one of those things and found out, wow, that's, that's actually true. Mm -hmm. These were eyewitnesses. There were eyewitnesses living when yeah. these eyewitnesses wrote this down. So yeah. it, it started giving me historical evidence that I could latch on to to help me trust yeah. the Bible as a new believer. But, but, again, here's the but. 
there's a difference between showing historical evidence that our view is true and saying how we know something is true. And so this yeah. is what I wrestle with. It's how do I know this is actually This is what God. you wrestle with? Wrestled with. Not wrestled with. Not wrestled okay. with. Okay. Uh, this we actually had a YouTube comment that said we needed to improve the uh, comedic content improve of our improve the comedic, improve the comedic con- content of our show. Well, you know, Russell, on a side note, completely unrelated to what you just said, I talked to a Jewish lady the other day. Okay. Uh, I said, you're a Jew? She said, yeah. I said, no way. She said, Yahweh. All right. That's just, we're just going to pretend that didn't happen. So what we are saying. Back to bashing Vodibach. Go ahead. What we're saying is that these historical evidences have value. And if they're used rightly, as we talked about with evidential apologetics, if somebody comes comes up to you and says, hey, man, you believe the Bible's true? What evidence do we have? That it was actually written by the people who claim to have written it. Yeah. I can give evidence. Yeah. Um, a sincere question is going to get a sincere answer. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, but when we say, I know this is the word of God, I want to build my faith and put my foundation on something stronger than my human reasoning, mm-hmm. these secular historical criteria and all right. these types of evidences. I want to do what we do with scripture in general, which is if you need to know about something like marriage or raising a family, or uh, running a business, or some moral decision in your life. Where do we turn? The Bible. Yeah, we turn to God's Word. So when I need to know about the Bible, why would I turn to some other source external to the Bible? But Russell, isn't that just circular reasoning? Looking at the Bible to see what the Bible says about the Bible? Mm -hmm. How so? I don't know. I'm just putting myself in, in the shoes of somebody who wants to argue with you. It sounds you like you can't it. prove that the Bible's from God by referring to the Bible. Yeah, so you're almost right. Okay. Let's let's back up a step. That's the title of my memoir, by the way. Almost <laughs> you're right. Almost the right. Life of Sean DeMars. So epistemic foundations, the thing we build all our knowledge on, mm-hmm. that's bedrock, right? Yeah. So if I say that this thing, my my human reasoning, is how I know everything, it's my standard, mm-hmm. my authority for measuring what's true and what's not, and then you say, well, how do you know your reasoning is true? How do you know it's trustworthy? You say, well, I reasoned it. Right, you have to. Well, because I reasoned, my reasoning is trustworthy. Yeah. If I appeal to some other thing over here, well, now that's my ultimate standard. Right. That's my ultimate authority. So basically what we're saying is, at at the deepest level, it's all circular. It has to be. And and this is a broad circularity. It's not a fallacious circularity. Mm. So the fallacy of circular reasoning. That's too... Okay, fallacy means error in logic. Okay. There we go. Fallacy of error in logic is... uh, is actually an informal fallacy. Like you can have a true statement yeah. and it's circularly fall- fallacious yeah. only if it's so narrow that it's not helpful. Yeah. So this broad circularity is true of everyone's epistemic foundation. Okay. But what we're not saying is we're not saying that the Bible is, is I can know that it's from God because it says it's from God. Okay. So if you look, if you open the Bible, you're going to find places where the Bible claims to be the word of God. Okay. That's not how I know it's from God. Okay. It's true, yeah. but that's not how I know it. Well, how do you know it then? Well, there's a difference between the Bible's attestation of itself. Okay. To, and I'm using words from uh, Dr. Michael Kruger, if you if you are familiar with him. I am. He, he does has, excellent work on the canon. He is basically the guy who's trying to recover this doctrine of what we would call the self-authenticating nature of Scripture. Okay. It is a belief that is taught throughout church history, going back to the second century. And was taught principally by the reformers who believed when they were wrestling with this question of how can I know scripture is from God? They came upon 
this doctrine of the self-authenticating view of Scripture. Okay. And what that means is it's not Scripture saying, hey, this is from the Word of God. Scripture contains within itself all of the evidence necessary to recognize it as divine. So okay. it doesn't need to point to some outside source yeah. like human reasoning or historical criteria or manuscript count, mm -hmm. whatever that may be. I can look at Scripture and I can see within the pages of this book the attributes that give me all the evidence I need to know that God wrote it. This book contains divine attributes because it was written by the divine finger of God. Yeah, one of the ways that Michael Kruger references it is he says that the Bible has God's fingerprints all mm -hmm. over it. Yeah. So that's radically different than saying, well, we have all this criteria over here that when we run the Bible through that criteria, just like we would any other historical book, we can see that it's really trustworthy. Yeah. Very different. Very different. Because we are saying that the Bible itself when I open it up and read it, I hear God's voice. I meet God in the pages of Scripture. You gotta give me an example. Okay, well, what you're basically saying is, hey, what what are these attributes? Yeah. You know, the Reformers called them uh, the Something indicators. In okay. Uh, indicia in Latin. The indicators of how we can know God breathed out Scripture. Mm -hmm. They talked about the marks of the divinity of Scripture. I think attributes is a helpful term. Yeah, sure. And that's because we talk about God's attributes. Yeah. And guess what? They're the same. Yeah. So the things I see in scripture that give it the attributes of being from God are the same attributes we see with God. Yeah. So uh, we can think about sort of uh, the beauty, uh, the incredible beauty of scripture. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of like a sunset. You know, how many sunsets have you stood and just stared at, just amazed at how is that even possible? You know, the beauty of God is revealed through that. We mm -hmm. see in um, particularly in psalm 19 you know the heavens declare the glory of god when i see that beauty i see god's fingerprints on it yeah an artist has created this and i am able to see it mm -hmm. the same exact thing is true of scripture when we read through scripture we are we encounter the beauty and the majesty of scripture and i don't mean that in like a grammatical way right not like oh the king james version right. of the bible like, is this so is shakespeare yeah there are places in scripture that I think are poetic. Sure, but Peter's grammar in Greek was atrocious. It was it was messy. Okay. And some of it's clumsy and hard to understand. Mm -hmm. But the beauty that we see in scripture is the beauty of Christ in scripture. Right. So we see the beauty of our savior on the pages in the yeah. words of yeah. scripture. Um I think I think of Luke 24:27. Um, do you really think of it or do you have that written down on a paper? I have it written down but because I thought of it. Oh, okay. Because we see Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Yeah showing these people who are trying to understand why did this Jesus guy die? You know, mm -hmm. we thought he was the Messiah and he shows them. It says, and the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture, the things concerning himself. Mm. So Christ is infused throughout the pages of scripture. Right. And it's that beauty that we recognize the beauty of Christ. Uh, another attribute is the efficacy and power of scripture. Mm. So we're not, we're you not can rip saying, a phone book in half. <laughs> We're not saying that the Bible is from God because it says it is, okay. though it does, and yeah. though that's true. Right. That's what the Bible says about itself. This is what the Bible does. Yeah. The Bible has power. Mm. When you read scripture, you experience conviction. Yeah. You experience um, edification. Yeah. You experience encouragement. You experience mm. the range of human emotion because yeah. it's doing something to you. I, I, I can't remember whose quote this is, but 
when you read the Bible, you'll find pretty quickly that it's reading you. Mm, and it's that's, probing you. It's That yeah. is the power of God's word yeah. that Christians throughout time have experienced when they yeah. open this book. God's spirit uses the word of God to convert dead hearts. That's right. And Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when you read God's word, it's alive. That's right. You can tell that it's alive. That's right. Yeah. So I have a biography right behind you. It's a biography of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I don't trust you and I won't look over my shoulder. Don't do it. <laughs> when okay, you read that book, yeah. you can read a lot of stuff about Lloyd-Jones. Yeah. But you won't meet him. Yeah. You won't encounter him in that book. Yeah. But the power of God speaking through scripture is different. Yeah. Um, not for the, maybe not for the unbeliever, but that's for another. No, we're going to get to that. Ooh, okay. So the third attribute I give is you say so. (laughs) the unity and harmony of scripture. Yeah. Uh, like when boys to men really, when they get going, they they, have that perfect unity and harmony. The boys to men effect. Yeah. That's what, that's what Dr. Michael Kruger calls it. I think so. Yeah. Uh, the unity and harmony of scripture. Tell me how scripture has unity and harmony because you've, you've taught on biblical theology. Yeah. I mean, it tells the same story from the beginning all the way to the end. And there's no part of it that's out of sync with another part of it. So if one guy, Stephen King had written one book, Mm. you'd expect that. Yeah. Even then you would still find some gaps. Even then you're going to find human error. Yeah. Yeah, But But to have umpteen authors, 66 books, 40 something authors, 66 books over thousands of years. Yeah. With the doctrinal harmony, the narrative harmony, yeah. with the with this culmination in moral Christ, moral harmony, moral yeah. harmony, like everything that we see in Scripture is a testament to its divine nature. Yeah. Um. And here, Second Timothy three sixteen, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Not most Scripture, not just the New Testament, all Scripture, mm. and that's a profound observation. Um. So here's an implication to this. Okay. For apologetics. Maybe the person who doesn't believe that the Bible is God's word should read it. Yeah. I owned a Bible for a long time as an atheist and I never opened it. Hmm. And it it was when I actually opened the Bible and started reading through it from beginning to end that I experienced the voice of God. Like, Wow. wow, this is not what I thought it was. Yeah. And my intention in the, in the beginning was to kind of pick it apart. Like, okay, let's see this Bible thing. Let's see yeah. what you got, Bible. Yeah. <laughs> really, two of every animal? Yeah, All right. right. Here and, we go. Uh, and it was that experience that allowed me to see clearly the attributes of God in the, in the scriptures that I was reading. And so yeah. that makes scripture self-authenticating. Yeah. Uh, side note, one of the best ways that you can evangelize somebody is just ask if they're willing to sit down and read read with you pick a book like mark short fast punchy read it together and and let jesus do his work i've been routinely i shouldn't be surprised by this but surprised at how often you talk to somebody who was converted out of atheism yeah and their testimony to how that took place was well i you know i realized i should probably know my bible a little bit better so i can argue with these christians and they started reading it and I got to tell you, if you're an atheist, reading the Bible is a dangerous thing. Yeah. Because you won't stay an atheist for long, uh, or you're going to really harden your heart to a powerful display yeah. 
of of God speaking clearly into your life and into the world. Yeah. So, yeah, the power of Scripture is real. Yeah. It is God's voice. And so our standard speaks for itself. We don't need to appeal to anything outside of the Bible to validate the Bible as our foundation. Yeah. And there's more that can be said about that. But what I'd like to get to next in the next episode. Sure. I'd like to deal with the objections to this because okay. already there's two things that people should be thinking. Number one, hey, I read some of the Bible. I didn't see any of that. Yeah, I was just thinking that. There's a reason for that. Yeah, Not for myself. Oh, okay. (laughs) I hope not. Uh, Yeah, why doesn't my mom, who's read the whole Bible and lost faith and is no longer calling herself a Christian, why is she not able to see the same things I see? What Uh, do you got to say about that? What do you got to say about that? And number two, yeah, this is circular. You can't do that. I'd like to flesh that out a little bit more. Flesh it out. Books you should read? Yeah. Apparently I have a crick in my neck. Russell, you read this book more recently than I did. I did. Evangelicalism Divided by Murray, Ian Murray. Man, look at this. This is a 9,000-page book. It's really like 300 pages. It's written. It's historical. It's kind of dry in some... Why do people need to read this? You know what? I didn't think it was dry. Really? So this is a a history, but it's history with commentary Mm -hmm. and theology. Okay. So... Ian Murray doesn't just give like Put the a, book back, please. Sorry. God. He doesn't give just like a real standoff, like uh, ironic kind of, this is what happened and I'll leave it up to you to decide whether it's good or bad. This yeah. is Ian Murray looking at the last 60, 70 years of evangelicalism. Yeah, 1950 to 2000. Add some. Add yeah. some. Yeah. And basically saying like, here's what went wrong with the evangelical church and if you don't think anything's gone wrong if you're not aware of something going wrong yeah this would actually be a great place to start um and it's a look at how pragmatism and the ecumenical movement in the history of the evangelical church both worked their way into the mainstream and a lot of the hypocrisy and the fluffiness and the uh loss of doctrinal stability within the church Mm -hmm. is is the result of that yeah it's really good really good book really good uh if you want to think about anything from uh the ecumenical movement to the anglican church to billy graham to christianity today to fuller seminary and inspiration this book touches on all of it boom yeah all All right right. thanks for listening and watching and we will i'm sean damar signing off yes you are i gotta come up with a better catchphrase i don't think that's funny